When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Paul Rubens, and you're listening to The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gammon, a Pantheon podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gammon. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaming as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaming, and welcome to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. As the devil himself apparently once said via the Rolling Stones, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a rock and roll witch from Hollywood, California. My obsession with music and the occult started at the age of 12 and is still going strong. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly, which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s through the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've been a professional dancer who's toured around the globe teaching and performing, and you've probably seen me dancing in a number of music videos, feature films, and documentaries. I'm also an actor with several film credits. Find out more about me at PleasantGaming.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, hell, I just had to say that, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding. Like the blood being sucked by a tick Bleed me dry You're an unswattable fly You make me puke Pretend you're my friend and you shoot up like a rocket Made of wax, I know the best revenge Is happiness and some success Hey, this is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music. As as a, um, a warning to audiences of all ages, I've got a bad cold today, so I'm just going to tell you that the role of Pleasant Gaiman will be played by Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone in The Godfather. I'm really excited to introduce you guys to my guest. We've known each other for decades and she's just amazing. She's so talented and so funny and so um, multitasky in many areas. She is a musician. She's an actor. She's a singer. She's an absolute force of nature. Abby Travis has played with everyone from Cher to the Go-Go's, the Bangles, Beck, Elastica, the Butthole Surfers, 
She's done shit with Spinal Tap. She's got an amazing band called Sumo Princess. I'm probably not even listing all of her credits, but you'll hear us talk about it. Please welcome the wondrous Abby Travis. Hey, Plez, how's it going? Everything's good. Good. Oh, just real quickly, I played with Gibby from the Butthole Surfers, but not in the Butthole Surfers. Just for okay, I um, need to. I need to find just out for more anal about- clarity. <laughs> anal clarity. <laughs> All right, we're already getting. We're already going fucking sick here. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I first met Abby, I think it was in the early to mid '80s, and she was really a young teenage love doll, and my. When I met her, I was so excited because she was so fucking cool. And the way I was describing her to people that didn't know her yet was like, I'd go, oh my fucking God, I just met this girl who looks like Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver and talks like um, Sean Penn in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Totally, totally. And you were, so, you were so young. You were so much younger than me. And you were so fucking cool and fully formed. Like I was just blown away. I was an early bloomer, you know. So I, because I think I was in still in high school when we yeah. met, you know. And I remember you were so nice and like so supportive of the love dolls too. And that was really a cool thing for me because I didn't have a lot of experiences where like other women were cool and supportive and just like hey I like what you're doing let me help you out you know like you made our press kit for us because we didn't know how to do it you know? oh my god I don't even remember that yeah you were like here's how you do you know so so that was you know I have a lot of fond memories but before I met you I actually saw you play because before I started going to gigs I used to go to the Odyssey oh my god I get in because it was a teen disco right so i would like hitchhike all the way from like pacific palisades to or take the bus to the odyssey and like when they were getting closed down your band the screaming sirens played like a weird show there it was like do you remember that yes i remember that i'm gonna tell everyone that the odyssey was this giant um gay bar in in sort of west hollywood and uh it's it was now big. the mobile store. It's like the relax yeah, the back store. Yeah, it's like the mobile station now. <laughs> <laughs> or like the relax the back store. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right across the street from the Beverly Center, which used to be Ponyland, where I'd ride on Shetland ponies when I was three when we lived wow. on it. I know. But um, so anyway, the Odyssey was a place where everyone that was going there, their last name was Bowie. It was like, it was like a in that in that little time period between like full on glitter rock and and like right right as punk rock was taking hold that was the odyssey's prime years i went there after its prime years you yeah. know because of and so it was a lot of like you spin me right round baby right round like a record but like it was like that and prince and like madonna's first record and that kind of stuff me and me and Joan Jack got thrown out of there once. Well, actually, not thrown out. We got denied entrance because we were both wearing leather jackets, and the door guy told us we looked quote quote trashy. That's hilarious. The door guy that would like wear a giant bunny costume and like a tutu. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny was his name. Kenny. I can't even. If I remember his name, that would be really bizarre. I don't mm-hmm. even remember. I but I remember fucking someone in the alley behind there. <laughs> I just God, I can't even like. I would just like sneak out of the house and go there. But to me, it was like I thought it was so cool because I grew up in this like suburban, you know, the Palisades Highlands, which is like way almost where Sunset meets PCH. And the, the first time I went there, I was like, oh, the, you know, it was like that feeling of listening to like you know diamond dogs for the first time like it is close for me you know like weirdos and this is awesome you know so i really i liked it it was fun (laughs) it was amazing do you remember how we met i don't remember how we met i think just like at raji's probably you know that's what i thought maybe raji's was a um a punk club for anyone that's listening that came out of cafe de grand which was a famous punk club and I, i booked both of them 
and Raji's is now a metro station. See, see how old we are, you guys. We're just talking about we're like we're like one step away from being Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> except for the get off my lawn version of it. Yeah, that's you. I'm like I'm just like inviting everyone on my lawn as long as they bring like you know like drugs and food and yeah. food. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, let's talk about like your entree into the Hollywood music scene in the 80s. Okay, um, I, I got into it through my older brother, Dave Travis, and he was really into like the SST bands. So that was like his thing that he was completely into. And then when he had to drive me to school because I wasn't old enough to drive, we would be listening to like Black Flag and the Meat Puppets and the Minutemen and that kind of stuff, Bad Brains, that, you know, all that stuff. And then I started, so I think the first show I saw was X, like at the Star Stardust Ballrooms. No, I was, I never went to the Starwood. I was too, wasn't um, old enough to do, you know, to do something like that. But yeah, I think, and then I saw like, I think, like the Minutemen at, there was this, at Beyond Baroque that there was this poetry place in Venice because they would have like all ages shows on the weekends. Yeah. And then I also remember like seeing St. Vitus at Bebop Records in the Valley. Oh yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of things where like, what, what places could I get into? Because I was so obviously not 21. Um, and then I, I joined the Love Dolls because Dave was actually dating Kim, who was the guitar player and songwriter of the band. And I think basically like she liked the way I dressed and, you know, I would bring the average age of the band down by five years, you know, <laughs> and I had given her a tuna fish sandwich once at our house. And that was like prerequisite enough to join the band, even though I had never played the bass guitar before. So and I remember her saying like, don't tell Janet, you've never played bass. Janet is the, was the drummer who, and she, Janet was also in Red Cross. Janet Housden, we're talking yes. about. Yes, yeah, he's, he's a very funny person, Janet Housen's funny. Um, so, so Kim taught me how to play the bass lines. And then, you know, within like a couple of weeks we were uh, playing a show, you know? So, and I just kind of took to it. And um, that's kind of, it's sort of, I started playing bass by accident, kind of. I mean, I had taken like piano lessons and stuff. So I had had some musical background. And that's that's just kind of and it was a great thing because the band already had a following because Dave Markey had made those these two cult movies called Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, followed by the sequel Love Doll Superstar. That's and, right. I remember Love Doll Superstar. Yeah. <laughs> when, I remember both of them, but just when that came out, the title of it was just so great. <laughs> I mean, the, my biggest influence, like at that age, was just all those like Russ, My like Russ Meyer. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I was like, that's that's the look, you know, like. The, and um, I'm trying to think. I I lost my train of thought. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I part of the thing though that, that was also cool is that um, the guys in Red Cross had played for the movies on the soundtracks. They actually had played the instruments and written some of the songs before the band became a real band so the first bass lines I learned were like Steve McDonald's bass lines and he's such a terrific bassist so I was lucky to like start playing bass learning his bass lines but then afterwards because I was in this band um I was able to develop my own style because we were all just kind of whatever you know, young people figuring it out. So it was, it was uh, overall a good experience. And we used to play a lot with the, like one of the funny double, double bills is that like the anti-club really liked to book like the mentors and the love dolls. Like, I guess that was hilarious, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so classic stuff like that. We should take a break now. Cause we've been, we've been talking up a storm. Okay. Okay. So I loved I love that part of the scene because everything seemed like it was happening by accident or off the cuff, like like all of the LA punk scene from the very beginning of it to 
to going on up into, you know, when you started coming in, mm-hmm. in the, like later, everyone was just, it was, I think it wasn't like today. I really have, you know, as an, as an old lady and elder stateswoman, I really have no idea how people start bands today, but I think a lot of them are started with like success or commercialism in mind. And it's not like just how insane it, it used to be, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember because we the Love Dolls had three different singers, and at one point we were auditioning as for singers, and this gal comes in and she's totally foxy, and she was a good singer, and then she said to us, she's like, well, "What are your goals? And like, what's your five year plan or your one year plan?" And we all looked at each other like, "What? Like we don't really have any." <laughs> and she was just all like well like I don't think this is gonna work out you know like because she was like super focused on success or whatever we were like um like (laughs) just like no kind of concept because you know that was before uh I mean I guess for you guys there was the that period where like the Go-Go's became successful and X had some measure of success but I was in that other kind of in-between phase so I guess REM was kind of big, but it was before Nirvana. And so there was still no concept that like you could go get on a record label and didn't have a career. Yeah, it was yeah. just like, or if you were on a record label, it was your friend's label. Yeah, like, or like an indie label. Like records and the germs or like, you know, SSD, early stuff. And Yeah, I mean, I guess for us, like we wanted to be on SSC, but Greg Ginn didn't want to have like an all-girl band, you know. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and like, yeah, but but it was an interesting time because it was also like that beginning of like hair metal really becoming a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Super fucked on a certain level, you know, Um and, and the scream, like that was a weird time in LA, you know. The scream for anyone that's listening, the scream was a really cool club that went on for a long time in a couple of different locations, and it was sort of goth and sort of rock and roll, sort of heavy metal, sort of punk. It was in those days that LA scene was a lot more um, integrated than, yeah. and I'm sure other scenes in other cities were too, because. I've said this before on this podcast, like a lot of people look at old flyers and they can't understand how like, like the motels and the quick would be opening up for Van Halen or, you know, like just bands that seemed like they had nothing to do with each other, even if they were punk bands, you know, like how how did this fit in together? But everyone just liked all the new music that was coming out. And if they didn't like it, they just went outside and like, you know, had a cigarette or drank in the alley or loitered on the sidewalk until the next band came on, you know, that was, it was not as categorized in those days. Yeah, I I, I still don't listen to music that way, you know, like, I'm not, a, in, I, I don't understand these, like, this hyper genreization of things, you know, it's, it, it, it's, uh, I just like music if it's good, if I think it's good, if there's honesty to it, you know, just if it's if it's if it feels legit you know yeah, or <laughs> yeah. if it's so bad it's great yeah that which can also be totally legit you know like, yeah. so for sure because you know. they were sincere about it they were so <laughs> sincere like you know it was it was horrifying but you could tell that they they put their all into like you know making that 45 or whatever yeah yeah and, and it's like the kind of thing that i i like that where you're like it could never occur that way if they were better musicians or if a producer was involved and that you really hear the friendship and the fucked upness like i, I like that a lot yeah, yeah. I like, that. like remember the nip drivers yes yes like there's a band name that you couldn't have now for sure <laughs> You could never have that now yeah. and you could yeah. never even have like a lot of other records sounded though like right yeah. now with my cold I could probably sing it really good we had the their 45 that had waiting for Cindy yeah on- waiting waiting for Cindy <laughs> I'm just waiting for her <laughs> that, okay now I'm gonna have a coughing fit said Bob Marley I've gone from Vita Corleone to Bob yeah Marley. now like if you were in a movie that you would be a goner it, like the minute anyone coughs in a movie you're like well they're not gonna make it oh yeah know? totally <laughs> <laughs> um so let's um 
so you like wait were you in Hong Kong Johorny with me you were you were in the video and I did some shows with you guys too like I know I played with you guys at the coconut teaser wait let me explain to the audience what Hong Kong Johorny was Hong Kong Johorny was a fake joke band that Dave Catching from um Lords of the Mojave, Eagles of Death Metal, Tux and the Horseheads. Dave and I were in a band called the Ringling Sisters. And whenever our rehearsals got boring or people didn't show up, he'd start playing some like George Jones song, but like Jimi Hendrix style on electric guitar. And I would off the cuff start making up X-rated lyrics. So for a one night joke, we decided to do a band called Honk If You're Horny. And then, um, Robert Lopez, aka Elvez, asked us to uh, um, to open for him, and then just everyone started asking Anka for Horny, and this was in landline days, and I didn't want to call a million people because you couldn't like just do it, send a mass email, and there was like fifteen people in the band, so I'd always say no, and then people would think we were trying to like you know up the price, and they'd be like, "We'll give you five hundred dollars, we'll give you eight hundred dollars <laughs> in hotel rooms, and all this shit." So it wound up lasting a long time and we had lots of like guest stars, but we were always so fucked up and usually they were too that I don't even remember who played with us. <laughs> I, I did a couple shows with you guys, but I also did some shows with playing bass in the in the Ringling Sisters too. Well, no, I rem- I I remember that. Again, <laughs> <laughs> the Ringling Sisters, but Hong if you're horny, everyone was always on mushrooms. Or, or something. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I don't, I, I don't know how, I don't think I did very many shows. I probably did like two or three, you know. No, but you were in that video with also Sean Delir, R.I.P. from Glue. Oh, yeah, you guys were playing hitchhikers that wound up at the swimming pool party and we molested you or something. I've never seen that video. I, really I was just going to say, it. I don't even know what happened to that. I definitely was on mushrooms when we were filming that video, though. I remember that because I remember Rob Zabrecki going like, wow, you're really committing to this character. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Rob, Rob Zabrecki, a.k.a. Fuck Owens. <laughs> And then the Ringling Sister story I have is funny because it, it actually goes down as like one of the worst gigs I have ever done in my life was a Ringling Sisters gig. We went down to Palm Springs to um, play like you guys had had some music in one of Lauren Hoffman's films. Oh yeah, Bar Girls, that that lesbian, like it was Dinosaur Week. Yeah, it was Dinosaur Week and we did this gig like for all these total golf, like dinosaur lesbian women, and they could not have been less interested in the band. And like, I remember at one point, Annette sang this really pretty song. And then after the song, like no one even clapped. It was just like, they just were not even paying attention at all. And it was just like silence. (laughs) It was so brutal. Like that was, that was one of the worst. I mean, not, the band wasn't bad. It was just not a good That It was not a good fit with Dinosaur. Like, I think they thought it would be because there was a bunch of girls in it. And Annette that Abby just mentioned was Annette Zelinskis from Blood on the Saddle. And she was in my band, The Sirens. She was an original bangle. Annette was, Annette's got the most angelic voice. So if a bunch of, um, like, you know, polo shirt wearing, like, super tan like everyone there was like Ratalova like yeah (laughs) like super mullet like (laughs) I thought a fucking tennis match was gonna break out (laughs) (laughs) anyway um (laughs) but I just want to jump ahead because I need to know about the experience of you playing with Cher um, I can't really talk about that because they make everyone sign a specific piece of paper. Okay, well, well you can, can't you just say like if you met her or what she was wearing or something? Well, yeah, she looked amazing and wore awesome fucking share outfits, you know? I mean, that, like, yeah. Like Sunny and Cher show share outfits? Well, it was the show, like, I, I'm sure I can say this because it's like, there's video yeah. of it. Like, it was, it, would, it was her throughout the years. So she would, there would be like the sunny and shared thing and then the like the believe thing and the you know um like leather outfit with the fishnets with the big hair number and all kinds of you know you got the, it was like a greatest hits kind of las vegas review 
complete with like lots of dancers and a, an elephant, not a real elephant, but in, uh, you know, <laughs> props and it was, you know, an extravaganza. So, yeah. That sounds amazing. She did compliment me on my shoes, which made me happy. That was, that was the, you know, most that was talk, but <laughs> she was like, nice shoes. So I, I was happy because she's a fashion icon. So. Oh yeah, totally. So let's listen. Let's listen to some clickbait by Abby's band Sumo Princess. Like a king, baby. Filter for the sick and lazy. All she knows is the whispering mirror on her phone. Face with the sad reflection. Hey, we're back now. Share and now. I think everyone needs to know about your um your spinal tap, as they would call it now, your spinal tap quote quote journey. Because oh, this was like one of the best things that I remember when when you were like going to try out for the spinal tap thing. Okay, I'll try and keep it. I mean, this story could take the whole podcast, but my you know they were <laughs> as a publicity stunt. They were going to try out drummers at the LA Coliseum because obviously their previous drummer had died. So there was an ad in like the trade papers. And my friend from college was like, uh, you know, she worked as a, at like Premier Magazine. She's like, I, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but there's, a, there's an ad here and it looks like Spinal Tap are doing drummer audition. So my boyfriend at the time was a drummer and he, I'm like, you have to teach me how to play drums to big bottom, you know? And so he taught me how to play, uh, you know, I had like, I'm not a very good drummer. So he, you know, taught me how to play drums. And then I ditched music school. I was going to music school at the time. Wait, what I, year was this? This was probably like 90, maybe. Yeah. I think okay. Maybe 91, like I think 90, you know, I think I'm going to go with, around there. And um. And I got a fairy costume. I went to Palace Costume because one of my friends worked there and rented like fairy wings that were really good and just had this totally insane fairy costume. And they were only going to let the first 50 people in. But I was standing there with like, you know, this insane <laughs> costume. So I hear that like over the um, walkie talkies, like, <clears throat> all right, bring in Tinkerbell because the whole thing was a, a <laughs> anyway. So then uh, we went and I waited to do the auditions. And sadly, though, when I got to the kit, it had a double kick pedal, which I didn't know how to use. And so I did not get to be the drummer, the guest drummer, because I kind of showed the, the band was rooting for me, but I kind of showed, showed it pretty hard <laughs> on the drumming. But then the manager called me up and she's like, well, we're not going to hire you to be the drummer, but we'd love to have you in the show as a fairy, you know? And I'm like, great, you know? Um, so she's like, they're like, just come to the sound check at the Universal Amphitheater on whatever day it was. Um, and it was it was also funny because like even the auditions, like, you know, some right wing friend of my father's calls him up at like seven in the morning. He's like, Larry, your daughter's on CNN right now in a fairy costume. <laughs> like I had lots of good blurbs like they were like um have you ever been in any other bands and I'm like yeah you know I was in a light new age ensemble called the celestial seasonings you know and and then I was from a little town outside of Stonehenge and my name was Promethea Pendragon that was my character's name you know so I kind of committed to the whole thing and so I then I went to the sound check and as life often imitates art um first well the backdrop first i'm sitting in the green room with two little people and like jennifer batten that woman that had the crazy like um dual mohawks that was in um, michael jackson's band oh uh, yeah 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 <laughs> so that was like totally surreal already you know <laughs> and then the band's like well what what do you what do you like prometheus great to see you you know like what would you like to do and i'm like i'll, I'll dance around during stonehenge and they're like okay great so we just run it like there's like the two little people in like 
monk costumes or elf costumes or something. And then I just did this like ballet thing. But then the drummer for, for Spinal Tap actually whilst walking onto the drum riser at Soundcheck falls down and breaks his ankle in real life. <laughs> so that like totally happened. And of course, like I'm sitting in the green room, some tech or like road manager guy comes in and he's like all freaked out. And he's like, you know, like uh, I forgot the drummer's name, excuse me. Um, I, I, I Forgive me, the, the, they're like such and such just broke his ankle. And of course everyone starts laughing, you know? So they had to, they, what they did is they got, um, Chad Wackerman, who was like one of those guys that played in like Frank Zappa's band, you know, like super muso guy. And he came and like literally played the whole show and having never rehearsed it ever, you know? Um, so th then the night of the show was wonderful. Like I did my dance and it was, you know, I wish that that was in the days before everyone had video, you know, or phones, cause I, there's no video of it. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a bummer, but then I um, wound up going to uh, Phoenix with them for the next show, and it was really wonderful to, uh, like, I got to have lunch with them, and just, they were so smart and so funny, and, like, finally Christopher Guest broke character when he was sitting at lunch, but the whole rest of the time he was just Nigel the entire time, whereas the other guys were, like, themselves, but, you know, um, and so that, I just was so thrilled to get to hang out with those guys because they're just legendary awesome comedians and then we did uh they didn't have the little people for stonehenge at that gig in arizona because i guess maybe they're a union or something like maybe they just had them for the you know la new york bigger shows i'm, I'm just speculating so i want um i went out and did my dance and they also didn't have the big giant stone heads that came down. They just had this little one that was like three, six inches tall or whatever. Yeah. And then for some reason at the end of the dance, I decided to just like wing it. And I just did this very dramatic Gilligan's Island death. At which point, um, David St. Humbins and Nigel Tufnell came over and they tried to like lure me back to life through guitar noodling. So they'd go like, diddly, 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 and then I'd like lift up a limb or my waist or whatever. <laughs> but I never really got all the way up. And then without missing a beat, and none of this was planned at all, um, Christopher Guest walks up to the mic and he says to the audience, he goes like, well, the fairy has died. But maybe if we all clap our hands together, she'll come back to life. <laughs> you know? So it was like this Tinkerbell thing. And then they were all like, oh, you saved the set. And I just like still think that that was so great that I got to have this improv experience with those guys because they're like they're the best improv people in America, I think, you know, so I, that was awesome. And then I got to play bass on Big Bottom. There was like Adrian Ballou, Adrian Ballou's bass player. I was playing the Ernie Ball Earthwood bass, which are these bass basses that look like big acoustic guitars because they thought it would go with my fairy costume. And then Chris from the Meat, no, he wasn't playing the bass. He lent us basses. Um, yeah, so that was just my awesome Spinal Tap experience that I've enjoyed. Uh, you know, it's a, a fond memory, very fond. I remember memory. we were all sitting around, like, just like, on the day that you went to the audition just like you know like sort of chanting and doing doing prayers and then when when we found out you were going to Arizona and stuff I mean it was just so crazy <laughs> it was super fun I wish that like I had that same level I mean first of all just to have the confidence to go do that is definitely like a young person's just like yeah what the fuck I'll go do this you know but I never also just even have that level of confidence in my own career you know what I mean like just to go be that like free and so it was really fun I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to do that <laughs> yeah that was that was just fucking amazing so um, day, Michael McKeon calls me Promethea it's great Promethea. I know yeah. I, I didn't realize that that was your fairy name that's such a good yes. name well I'm sorry Especially the Pendragon last name. Yeah, well, I love Arthurian legends. So. No, I know, but I mean, that's like, that, that's, that's so like, 
kind of opposite rock and roll unless you know unless you're you were in the early version of t-rex or something yeah or like it's some kind of like jethro toll thing or something yeah, exactly all <laughs> of that flute playing like yeah. fucking tyrannosaurus rex jethro tall all that misty avalon shit i like that stuff oh i love that shit yeah um, anyway so let let's let's go um we're just I'm just jumping around here because I know everyone wants to hear about all the insane like band experiences you've been in. So let's talk about um when you started playing with the Go-Go's. Um, I started playing with them. I can't remember what year it was actually. Uh it was sometime in the mid 2000s like maybe I get that whole Was it after Apology? Who's Paula Jean? It wasn't Paula, like that wasn't she like playing bass for a while or maybe I I don't know. Yeah. I well, I started doing it because Kathy broke her wrist. Yeah, yeah. He was like walking, I think with like flip-flops, you know, just like total flip-flop injury. And so they needed someone to come out. Like a lot of the gigs I've gotten are always these sort of like pinch hitter, like our bass player is ill or has broken something or, you know, got arrested or like, can you learn our whole set in like two days? And it's like, sure, you know, like that's how I've, a lot of work I've gotten is like that for some reason. And um, so that was kind of how it started. And then they, you know, I just kept doing it for like six years. So that that was a fun, really fun job for me. I really, it was one of the few, I think that and like the Eagles of Death Metal before everyone went, not everyone, but before certain people in that band went super wackadoodle. Um, that, that was another band that I really felt like I could be myself and I didn't have to like have professional face on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's like, it, you know, I'm kind of nuts, but so are the Go-Go's, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, so. I mean, so and yeah, you were, like you I were, knew Jane and stuff and and Gina and and I actually think I went to Shar's wedding, you know. So so and yeah, that was I really enjoyed working with them and I love their music and I really approached it from a place of being a fan, you know. Like I they were pretty cool about like they were like you don't have to play this exactly the same way as you know the you know Kathy plays it but I I went in there thinking like well I'm gonna play this music the way I would like to hear it as a fan you know because I am a big fan of the band and I, I remember getting Beauty on the Beat uh on cassette when I was in I think like sixth grade or seventh grade so that was I was exciting for me to go from being like one of those little girls that like we all liked at like Paul Revere Junior High School like this town because it was so like LA you know yeah so it was really exciting to get to play with them because I I love their music you know, they're, they're a great band yeah and they're all as crazy as you or I yes absolutely <laughs> in that fun girl way so okay so speaking of crazy tell everybody um about the butthole surfers but i think oh. we should take we should take a little break probably <laughs> before we, we're gonna take a break to get high for a minute before we yeah exactly on my with abby travis and now we're going to talk about like uh the butthole surfers well so it wasn't i just to clarify i did not this play gabby gibby gibby i'm abby he's not <laughs> i know so that was completely if you guys were a couple they'd call you gabby just like yeah i guess so. 
or like yeah, that was totally insane and like i just remember before this is name dropping but funny like before when i decided like gibby had a solo project called his problem and it you know was not ironic on any level and like i remember i decided doing it like exine comes up to me she goes like i just want you to know i think it's really cool that you're doing this but if you have to leave the tour no one will blame you <laughs> and it was just like a nightmare i mean like the whole like it was so that was like just like me and the guitar player like like he assaulting me like it just fucking we played this club and like the last gig that we did in dallas was like some sketchy like outdoor barbecue thing where it's like raining under a metal roof and there's like all the electricals done with like um extension cords and i'm just like going please let the cops come and shut this down please let the shots and shut this down and like i remember the guy like the guitar player and I got in a fight and then he's all like the, the the guy that like ran the clubs all like this ain't drama honey it's rock and roll and I'm just going like oh these rednecks like get me out of here it was so I like it was really a gnarly experience um I mean it's so my friend it, the only thing that made it kind of okay is my friend Kyle was playing guitar and Kyle's great you know although, although he, I think he destroyed my hearing because he we were playing like club clubs and Kyle insisted upon bringing like a Marshall half stack and a box AC30 both of them and it's like dude this room is like for 200 people <laughs> so that was just completely insane and then we had two different vans like their van was like the hard drugs van and our van was like the sort of like weed and like what are we doing with our lives van <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just, just sketch that's totally sketch <laughs> how many how many dates was it i don't remember i think it was like a few i don't remember i had to go to texas and rehearse for like a longer than it should have been but which was actually sort of fun because then you know it was kind of fun like you know that kind of austin drag racer like there's that car culture in austin texas where they have all these kind of like souped up hot rod cars and so that was fun driving around um in those kind of cars and stuff and i like texas barbecue so there's that and, um so uh, yeah i i don't even remember that was like because I, I that was earlier like way before the go-go stuff i don't even i might i'm not good with remembering dates sadly i know so, i'm i'm really good at remembering like like what people had on what the conversations were who was playing and then i'm always like was that 1979 or was that 1981 or yeah yeah me too i mean unless i check in my diary like it's a, you know because all of all of the kind of rock and roll that you and i had was was a blur many times you know yeah it was amazing but uh do you keep a very detailed diary regularly is that something you've always done well, I started when I was 10 and all through the rock and roll formative years of like glitter and early punk and punk and going on up until like the mid 2000s, it was super detailed. And now I'm so busy, it's not nearly as detailed as it should be. Now it's just like jotting down a few lines in a date book, even though it's like a full diary. Like my diaries, I just used to burn through them. Like I have stacks of them. Yeah, they should, yeah, they should be in a in a bank vault somewhere or something. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I I don't I don't journal as much as I used to either. And now it's it looks more like to do lists. Yeah, um, that's exact. Yeah, that's like mine too. Which 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 sucks. But um, I like I I long for those old rock and roll days we had when it was just like complete. I don't know. Like I I was trying to make a flyer old school. Um, mm -hmm. this art show that I have coming up, you know, of all my old flyers. And I was like, I'm just going to make a flyer for that instead of having a digital one. And I started making it. And then at one point I was like, holy fuck, like, how is this taking three hours? And then I realized that I think it used to in the seventies and the eighties and shit take three hours, but time was not as, you know, as quote, quote, expensive as it is now. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like, like. It didn't seem like it would take a lot of time, but then I hadn't made one in decades. And 
you know. Yeah. Just... Well, and also that that's that thing that you touched on where the, because of everything's so digital now, it almost seems like a luxury to just like put pen to paper and just write, you know. Oh, I still love to like I have to keep a hard copy to do list, otherwise, you know. Me too. Me too. Because, I, because I'm an old lady. Me too, same. <laughs> And I yeah. like I still learn. I guess it's like maybe a generational thing where like if I really want to learn something, I write it down five times. You know, it's just like totally. no, no, but that yeah. that's even not generational. I mean, I think that since like caveman. I mean, that's why there was nursery rhymes and shit. Mm -hmm. You know, if like if if anything was like chanted out loud or someone sings it, it'll stick in your head like that. Yeah. Like, like the whole like I could still sing you like the whole Gilligan's Island theme or like commercials from like the olden days you know because like it just gets in there like an earworm absolutely i remember the first i did um christian hoffman's husband justin is a playwright yeah he's had me like in a couple of his plays and you know i have no training in acting and, and i just remember asking one of the actors because they actually know what they're doing um you know, I'm like, how do you remember lines without music? You know, like, because for, for me, it's, you know, if there's a melody, no problem. But it, that was like, a, and they just thought it was so weird that I didn't know how to do that. But you know, it so it was just this thing of like, you just have to start at the top, read it, and then read it again, read it again. But it, it was so much harder without the melody to remember. I know, that's because you're a, a musician, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, but that that also always helps. So um tell everybody now, I think I think we've covered like a lot of your past stuff. Let's talk about what, stuff, what we didn't cover our insane trip when I was an L vet and you were covering... Oh my god. <laughs> How could we not talk? Okay. So um Elvez, Robert Lopez, who was in the zeros and then turned into the Mexican Elvis. Um we were, okay once again wait what year was that i i that was sometime in the 90s no, and it was, it was like I, it was a big like a, it was important. elvis week in memphis it was elvis week in memphis and it was an important like uh, anniversary it was like you know a round number anniversary of elvis's death which is yeah. why i wanted to go really badly because i'm not really good at like the dance moves for the backup singing you know but, yeah and it was so but like just as like an like on an anthropological level i was like i've got to check this out it's gonna be so fascinating and you you of course in, in consummate plez style were working on several angles like you were writing about it for the weekly or, yeah. or for some a magazine but you were also had some belly dancing gigs too yeah, time. I had other belly dancing gigs, but also Robert Elvez hired me um, because he needed a costume change. And then um, I was belly dancing in the Elvez show to Little Egypt. Oh, that's right. And so he could change his costume. So that's so anyway, Abby and I both wound up going to Memphis for Elvis week, which was, you know, from, if anyone, if you guys haven't been there, the second you're getting off the airplane, there's the luggage thing. It's like all a million Elvises from every fucking era of Elvis. You know, there's like the 68 comeback Elvis getting getting a bag off the carousel. There's like the that's and that's all right, Mama Rockabilly Elvis, you know. I mean And then there's multicultural Elvi, you know, there's like Peter Singh, the Sikh Elvis. And yeah, yeah, he was great. Peter Singh. <laughs> Peter Singh was awesome. I remember him. Wait, wait. <laughs> When, when it, we went up to him and said, I heard the news, there's good Raga tonight. <laughs> and he started laughing. And then, okay, wait, the other great thing about Elvis Week too, which Abby and I discovered is you could go into a ladies room almost anywhere and there'd be two, like two or three or four or five really old ladies like washing their hands or putting lipstick on talking about like when they made out with Elvis in 1959 or like when they went home with Elvis because they were visiting Vegas and he was, I mean, all these old like Southern ladies just like telling like nasty, awesome sex stories about Elvis <laughs> and the lady in the ladies room. I remember sitting in a stall just with my ear. I was like a cartoon where you hold like a glass up to a wall. I didn't want to get out of the stall because I didn't want to 
stop hearing their stories. They were like, oh, well, I didn't like the way Elvis kissed. I mean, he was handsome, but, and so <laughs> I, oh, I loved it. And I told, um, I told him I was 17, but actually I was 14. I mean, <laughs> stuff like this going on everywhere. And so Elvis brought us there. Abby was playing with Elvis. We went to the show. I was singing. I was, I was an Elvis. Yeah, an Elvis. But so then um, my friend Bobby from Memphis yes. um, said he had to bring us to a place outside of Holly Springs, Mississippi. And this is a famous and legendary, and I might add illegal, blues club called Junior Kimbrose. And we kept saying, like, yeah, it was, it was totally a juke joint in this old cement church. And the directions we had to go to it was take highway four until it turns into a dirt road and you'll <laughs> hear the music. That was the, <laughs> that was the directions. So we're driving down this unlit like highway four for miles and miles outside of Holly Springs, Mississippi. And then seriously, as though it was the beginning of some like major motion picture epic about the South. We started hearing like blues coming from way across the fields, but then we started seeing these crackheads coming up that looked like, they looked like, like uh, this is gonna sound terrible and racist, but they looked like an escaped slave in an Oh Brother, Where Art Thou movie. Like they were wearing overalls with no shirt with like one strap down. And they country. were trying the doors of all the cars that were parked you know, on this tiny one lane highway that we're obviously going to Junior Kimbrough's because there was nothing else there except forest land and pastures. And they looked insane. Their eyes were like rolling in their heads and, yeah. and they were covered in sweat. And so we're driving in there and then Bobby from Memphis Park and he took me in Abby's hand. And the second we walked in, this guy looks at Abby and, and says, you sure are one good looking white individual. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that okay so the band was playing on stage which was just ramshackle the fucking whole drum kit i remember this was held together with like laundry line ropes like like i don't i don't even know how and but there was a, there was a fucking girl sitting on top of the guitar player and he was sort of holding the guitar player out and they were making out during the solo on the stage. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, I also remember several, several things about the band. The bass player had three strings on his bass, <laughs> but sounded amazing. That woman was also at, at other times totally freaking with the guitar player. So she had like her, you know, butt like, you know, doing like some serious butt dancing while she was having just a casual conversation Conversation with oh yeah, she was, she was and there was a the toddler way. walking around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I <ran> the toddler. <laughs> and they were they were selling they were selling like moonshine in the back that was yeah. in like little Corvassier or Jack Daniels half pints. They were selling like fucking insane. Were you with me when I like I brought the moonshine back because you could put shit in your like were you with me at my house when we tried that moonshine i don't believe so i i admit you might you might have been because you might not remember it i remember after the black light after this this dive oh, well, we after through, the black light which we, was we drank some moonshine and then i remember waking up on my living room floor and it was like jonestown with with four people on each side of me like we were all passed out in a line <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of just like, oh God, that place and poor Bobby, like, and I also just want the listeners to know that like, I prepared to go to this place by taking all my stage makeup off, was wearing like a t-shirt and jeans, pleasant, however, still had all of her belly dance makeup on and was wearing like a midriff exposed, like, to, like I dream of genie kind of shirt. Like you were just like, fuck it. Like you've always had this like, kind of like mystical, like, ability to go anywhere and just everything's cool you know <laughs> like, I don't know what it, it's like a it's your superpower I think you know this kind of like you yeah, know not cool like I'm cool but like everything's, everything's fine you know yeah, everything's gonna be fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was and I still I still somewhat have this sign from the snack bar at Junior Kimbrose which I stole mainly oh, because it was it was written on the side of cardboard boxes but it was like 
that was like shot moonshine. And then it said, it was trying to say pickled pig's feet, but it said picker pig's feet. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was misspelled. And there was all these like paintings all over the wall that someone had done that like if they would have made it into a gallery in New York or LA would have been, it would have been like the new folk artist because it was like portraits of people like Diana Ross and Oprah Winfrey, but they all looked like they had like this Tyrannosaurus um, or vampire teeth. They all had like really sharp fangs and like manic smiles and they were just done on like cardboard and pieces of wood. They were so good. That was so great. The music in there was so good. Yeah, the band was amazing. And, and I mean, the whole trip, like we went to Elvez. I, were you there when we went to Al Green's church? Yeah, fuck yes. That was, there was like Elvis impersonators in Elvis drag at church. like <laughs> At Al Green's church. And the yeah. choir was amazing. They were so but they, good. That was, they weren't that amazing. Like I mean, that was like one of my first bonding things with Christian, whom I wound up working with a lot over the years but i can't i bet him on that that trip because like there was one point where me and him kind of looked at each other while they were like i think it was one of the younger choirs and he's like i'm not sure they're intending this harmony to sound this satanic (laughs) 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 that was that was just an an epic like and we went on that um riverboat ride you and christian and i that was super there there was a rockabilly elvis riverboat ride Mm -hmm. that was full of like english teddy teddy boy couples and like older people and that was that was insane yeah and then we went to some other dance club where i was dancing with this guy that was kind of like a hairy tupac shakur look alike (laughs) (laughs) that was just god that was a great trip (laughs) i know we're just we're just scratching the surface here (laughs) Abby and I could go on and on and tell horrifying stories. Um, let's see. We can, um, is there anything? You, let's talk about Sumo Princess for a minute, but we'll come right back. Here I am with Abby Travis. We've just been, if you're just tuning in now, which I sincerely doubt, we've been talking, <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about um, some of the horrifying things that we've done together. Which is super fun things. Yeah, which is, yeah, when when we, when I say horrifying, it's like, it's like a I positive know. adjective. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you say horrifying, it means terribly wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Or W-H-O-R. Yeah. <laughs> you sure are one good looking white individual <laughs> tell us about tell us about sumo princess sumo princess is uh a band that i you know i the we put out a couple of singles and a full length and that was me and gene troutman uh, who Formerly I know. up to Miracle Workers and um, who else? Stone Age and oh, yeah. in Rest in Peace and um, uh, Danny and an all around terrific guy. And so we, he and I, it actually started with a different drummer, a guy named Chris, who was half Japanese, hence the name. He came up with Sumo, Chris Nakata, and I came up with Princess being the Jewish American. So that, but the name stuck. And so Gene and I put out, we did a little bit of touring and put a, that, that music is very different from the music I used to do um, previously to Sumo Princess. Almost all the songs I've written, I've written whilst playing piano and Sumo, uh, it was more of a response to kind of like all the years of being a professional musician. And I wanted to get back to doing something really primitive and um kind of 
more avant-garde and inappropriate and brutalist. So it's, it's just bass and drums, but I'm playing through all of these crazy effects and singing. Um, and it's a little more third person than some of my earlier work too. Like I kind of often kind of channel different characters, not really on purpose, but it happens. Um, so it's, and it's a lot more sort of like hardcore or rocking or whatever adjective. Just so you guys know this, we're watching each other on Zoom and she just made the devil horns when she said that. <laughs> It's more of this, you know, like, I, can you hear this? Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm working on a new record right now. It's kind of a hybrid sumo, but I it had, some of the songs do have more elements than just bass and drums. And I'm using a, a couple of different drummers on it because I haven't found the right person up now. You know, I moved to, from Los Angeles to near Woodstock, New York. So I'm now- I was gonna in ask you about that when you were done talking about, yeah. Yeah, so that's like a big, in 2019, my husband and I moved up here, and I haven't totally found my musical people yet, so it's, I'm, I'm making this record, we did the basics down at Rancho de la Luna in Joshua Tree, which is Dave Catching's studio, and then I'm working on it with um, this guy called Alan Johannes, who's like a total genius, just super brilliant, like, what, you know, best musician really great guy um and so yeah he's consummate yeah he's the he's really major major so we're almost done we're getting close we're getting close so we'll see what happens with that it's yet to be named so i have no title but um yeah that's just that's what i've been doing lately awesome i know i can't believe you moved to upstate new york like sort of didn't you move kind of in the winter or did you move right before it was winter we got up here in the late fall like right before halloween of 2019 so the time was good to move to like the side of a mountain because we got up here like a few months before covid hit yeah yeah that's yeah that's good but then i remember when you were moving i was like stressed out like i was like does she know what winter's in upstate new york <laughs> dude uh, it's it's funny because I really appreciate spring you know I got and, and, and I've had like some issues with being kind of depressed and Tommy my husband he's like I think you have seasonal affective disorder it's and real like, you know and I'm like really maybe you're right and he's like because he was noticing that once the weather gets better I'm all I have more energy and I'm out doing more stuff and and, and it would make sense having grown up in Southern California that you know, I just didn't clock it. I'm glad he actually said something because at least I was like, oh, that's something I can wrap my head around other than, you know, like just being super bummed out, you know? So yeah, I, no, that's a real thing. I, I, grew, I grew up there. I mean, yeah, like, not fully, but yeah. Did you grow up in Connecticut? You were from Connecticut. Or... Well, I was born in New York City uh -huh. and then I lived in upstate New York until 1960 seven so my my very oh. early years were in upstate new york near near kent it was near kent cliffs and i say that because we were so far out in the sticks that kent cliffs and brewster were like where it was my actual town would have been carmel new york uh -huh. but no one really knows where that is so brewster there's a train station there that's why we would say it's near brewster uh-huh but there was there was nothing we were living in this old revolutionary war house which was uh -huh. amazing. And yeah. I was running around naked like a fairy the whole time, but without spinal tap and as a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the winter. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lifestyle change, but I, I'll tell you, I do not miss the traffic. I do not miss the selfie, like, you know, on the corner, my old house in LA that you've been to many times uh, was right off of Melrose and like three out of the four corners uh, on Melrose and Laurel where my house was were like these selfie corners. So every day- yeah, I they were murals and stuff. And stupid tourists taking pictures of themselves standing in the middle of the street. <clears> and I mean, like after, you know, taking an hour and 15 minutes to drive home from like Highland Park or Mount Washington or something, which should really only be 20 minutes. But, you know, then like there, I just I had to get out because I was like, if I don't leave soon, I'm going to run one of these people over on purpose and I'm going to wind up in prison. She had to leave. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I did. I did. So now I'm up here and then my, I have this side gig, um, which is actually quite fun where 
every other week when I'm in town, I work um, selling medicinal mushroom tinctures at the Woodstock Farmer's Market, which is really good people watching. Like it's so just exactly what you would think, like just amazing, like weird hippie acid, acid casualties and just like, it's really like, and also sort of idyllic, like children with balloons and like, it's sort of like a Wes Anderson movie or something. It's <laughs> you get a kick out of it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's my side job. <laughs> well, so are you coming out to LA or, or playing anywhere where um, in the near-ish future now that stuff is a little more opened up? Is there anywhere you're going that our listeners could know about or nothing yet? No, nothing yet. I'm just working on this record and then we'll we'll see what happens. You and know? then you guys can all look at abbytravis.com. And sumo princess. Dot yeah, or it might be sumo princess band.com because there's probably <laughs> a sumo princess like a doll or something. Yeah. Promethea pendragon.com. No, I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you guys, that was Abby Travis, the amazing Abby Travis. And uh, seriously, we just barely scratched the surface of everything because we could have gone on and on. That's true. But uh, thank you for so many years of such wonderful friendship. And I love you very much. I love you too. Anyway, you guys, that was Abby Chavez. And I will see you next time on The Devil's Music. Fly, take me The tin cans and Sandman, it's Thursday's old song. Bet you didn't know that I knew. You told the truth. The minute you walked out the door, that I trotted into. Yeah, The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.